You're going to remember this every day for the rest of your life. If you want to get to a goal, if you want to get to your dream, you got to focus on all the little steps. You have to put in your time. You have to be patient and you have to enjoy the process. Whatever you're doing now, whatever you want to be great at, whatever you want to be special at, I'm sure you you maybe already be good at it, but to be extraordinary, you have to do extra. I firmly believe that we are all here for a very specific reason to do something truly extraordinary. But what are you going to do to get there? Welcome to the Magna Method Podcast, and I am very fortunate to sit down today with sought-after, well-known personal trainer and life coach, Mr. Louis Barone. Louis, how are you doing today? Great. Doing great. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, there's one person that I've been really, really uh, excited to have on this show, and there's a lot of people I want to have on this show, but I have a really special connection with this guy because... He's like my little brother, and I love him to death. Also, he uh, he he helps me. I mean, the, he, you know, this guy helps a lot of people trying to reshape their life and uh, make them optimal. He help them fire on all cylinders. But he's, you know, he works with their mind. He works with their body. He works with their spirit. He works with their energy. He really does it all. And he's a special person. So you're really lucky to hear uh, a little bit of his story and how he does things. So seriously, Louis, thank you very much for being on the show. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate you having me. Absolutely. Now you just raised my nerves That's even right. more. <laughs> That's right. So, Louis, tell us a little bit about how uh, you got started in the fitness wellness industry. Because I know we were working at a corporate uh, wellness facility together. Yep. And I've been working there for a few years. And then you showed up. And what brought you to that facility? Why did you decide uh, to take that path? Well, I'm originally from New Jersey, and um, before coming over, I was working out at a strength and conditioning facility, and I really, really enjoyed it. It was it was one of the best facilities I had been at. It was uh, ETS, it's what it was called, Explosive Training Systems, and it was run by two local guys, um, uh, Mike Nunziato and EJ Bartel. EJ Bartel is actually now, he was an assistant coach and recruiter for Rutgers and he actually just moved over to Temple University so really cool guys and um, I remember one day I was working out with some of their older guys and I asked uh, Mike if I could run that group because I just really I really enjoyed being there I enjoyed the energy I enjoyed working with uh, working out with the other guys and he gave me a shot and I fell in love with it right from there so when I decided I want to get more serious about it at that time it was kind of a turning point in my life where I just didn't want to be in the same environment anymore. So I decided to pick up and leave. So I jumped in this at a 97 Honda Civic DX at the time. Uh, my dad helped me out with it. And I jumped in that thing and I drove down to Miami. And about two and a half, maybe three months later, I wait, started. Wait, 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 wait. You so just tell them you're out of here. I'm taking off. Why? Yeah. Um, I just woke up one morning and that night I couldn't sleep. And I just kept, I started realizing that. I started seeing these patterns. It was constant. It was the same people, the same places, the same conversations, and it just it hit me like a pile of bricks. I was like, "Holy shit!" Oh, sorry. No, it's a, <laughs> we can let those s bombs okay. fly as long as we don't carry um, over to their cousins. So yeah, man, I just thought, "Holy shit!" You know, this if things are just going to continue the same thing. Like every week will be the same, every day will be the same. It's nothing is changing. Oof. And I don't know what hit me, but I was like, yeah, I got to I got to change it. And so the next morning, I remember I came up to breakfast. My parents were sitting at the table and I said, 
then I'm going to go to Miami. And they're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Why Miami? I've always wanted to live in Miami. I, I came here all the time as a kid. My grandparents, they lived in, they lived, they, well, my grandfather still lives in Hialeah. My grandmother, uh, she passed a few years ago. But, um, yeah. So, I, I would come here as a kid all the time, and I, I really enjoyed it. And I think, honestly, the reason I enjoyed it so much was because my dad really loved it here. So, every time we came, my dad was, like, totally different because he wasn't in, like, the same environment. So... We really hit it off. Every time we would hear it, we were here, we always had a blast. So I always related Miami to good times. And so when I decided I wanted to leave, I thought there was no better place than Miami. And mm -hmm. so I jumped in the car and we got here 20 hours later and it's been over four years. I was back in March of 2012 or January of 2012, January 1st, actually. And what, you know, we have a, a, a new young person who's working at our facility great person he's from oklahoma and uh, <laughs> you know i can only imagine what it's like for a person to show i know what it was like for me when i showed up and i was spending the off season here for many of the seasons that i was playing and it's a different kind of place yeah how long did it take you to get adjusted to the culture <laughs> and the living in miami and then you're gonna say yeah. i'm still getting adjusted man um um yeah it, it was difficult it was definitely different. I didn't know anybody here. Uh, and once I started working at the same, you know, corporate wellness facility, um, I mean, in the heart of South Beach, and then started getting in the mix with those crowds, um, I realized really fast that if I didn't get focused, it was only a matter of time before things went south. Um, I think it was like a month, a month in working there, I ended up on a all day drinking party bus. And that was so out of my zone. In high school, the, my nickname was Crash and Burn because we would go out <laughs> oh and I was the guy who would fall asleep everywhere. You know, I, I was never really into the parties. Um, I mean, I, I, don't get me wrong. I enjoy a good party like anybody else, but it just it was it was never really fitting for me. I didn't really look forward to those things. And I didn't always take part until I would get those those uh, sensations of um, a FOMO. <laughs> That's right. That's and then right. I'm like, you know what, let's give it a go. And then I'd be like, yeah, what the hell am I doing? This is not for me. And it would be, a, you know, two months go by three months. Go, and then I do it again. Um, but yeah, a month in, I ended up on an all day drinking party bus. I remember I drove home, which was probably the craziest thing I've ever done in my life. And I realized that the next morning because I woke up in the driveway door open foot hanging out um and it rained that night and so my one leg was completely soaked and my cousin came out and he's like what are you doing and it was because i passed out in the car so never did that again and after that that was where i was like okay i gotta be very careful about picking my friends i stopped hanging out i stopped answering my phone i wasn't you know because i was new i was kind of vulnerable I guess at the point where you know it was so easy to influence me because I just wanted to you know I wanted to get in I wanted to be a part of the you know the group and I, I felt left out I didn't know anybody at the time and so yeah but then right from there I was like yeah I'm not doing that again and sure enough I haven't gone that route thank god yeah it's great uh when you, when you get it a few days in Miami that are really hard on your soul and then you realize what am I doing? Yeah. Like, this is not who I am at all. Yeah. I woke up at the lobby in the lobby of live one time or the fountain <laughs> blue. I woke up in the lobby and the security guards were waking me up. It was after we went to a wedding 
and it was a wedding yeah for for one of the co-workers and we went to live the night uh that same night and everybody's out there having a good time just not for me i'm like i'm going nuts because the music's too loud i end up in the lobby asleep and i woke up because security guards woke me up it's interesting how all your friends didn't wake you up no (laughs) (laughs) they were but they were laughing though when the security guards pull um picked me up at the uh at the lobby so yeah interesting so you really you know since then it's very first of all thank you it's very big of you to talk about your imperfections because a lot of people don't want to bring any attention to their hurdles and obstacles and it takes a big person to do that so thank you very much really and that that's great that you did that because now we could talk about some of the things you've done which is so many things like i really I don't say this often, but I really think the world of this person sitting across from me, this young person is, he is a young person and he is a smart person and he knows his stuff and he really, really wants to, you know, completely immerse himself in the fitness wellness industry and help people. And he's busting his hump every day to gain more knowledge to do that. So thank you for that as well. So, you know, you worked at that corporate wellness facility. You certainly climbed the ladder. You did an outstanding job there. Uh, everyone thought you did an outstanding job there, and then you you became a manager. Yeah. What's it like being a, you know, you went from being a trainer to being a manager. What's that like? Um, it's very different. It's very different. When you're working as a, as a trainer, it's a little bit more open. Your hours are open. Um, you take up less mental space, too, because you're just concerned with running your business and being as efficient and effective as, as possible, you know, just with what you do. Um, when you move into management, it's totally different. Now, now you're not concerned with just what you're doing. That is, that's already set. You know, that should already be, um, you know, that's already expected of you. You know, and so when you're working with other people now, you have to be concerned with. You know, right now we have a staff of 30. Uh, when I came into it, we had a staff of 23. So now you're concerned with what 23 other individuals are doing how they're running their business, how they're conducting themselves, what type of attitude they're bringing. And it's, it's a day-to-day process. It's, it's never ending. Um, and there are no days off, you know, so even though with this type of job, you, you're assigned, uh, two days off a week, it, you're, you're not off. So no days know. off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No days off. So the, yeah, the dynamics change there a little bit. Um, but what I mean by no days off, it's not always necessarily just work. It's, it's the worrying, you know, you're not only concerned with the way that you act and the type of attitude that you bring and, you know, keeping yourself self-regulated. Now you're worried about your team. Um, and I mean, it, it can go down to the smallest detail, like, you know, are they doing little things like being in their uniform, um, or even are they bringing a positive attitude? And you're responsible. Yeah, exactly. How do you, and it's hard to tell someone because we know ourselves and we know when we're wearing our hearts on our sleeves and we don't necessarily bring our, when I say A game, people say I only have an A game, I don't have a B game. But listen, if you don't bring your top energy and aura to work, everyone knows it and yeah. everyone thinks they can conceal it and it's all good. But when that happens, how do you handle that? Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, you manage your guys too, so so you know what it's like. A game's not enough anymore either. You need to be at your A plus because you have to you have to okay, you talked about this in your in your interview with um with uh Freaky Oh Ricky. Ricky Jean. Ricky talking about over exaggerating the drills, right? So you as a manager, you have to over exaggerate sometimes too, hoping that 
just by if they can if they can just imitate that at the bare minimum they'll hit it on an A. So you got to be at an A plus. You know everything that you did before you gotta you gotta amplify it. You gotta double it. You gotta make sure it's seen um, so that you can lead by example. And if you're just bringing your A, you know the best you're probably gonna get out of your team maybe is a matched A, but most of the time it'll be a B if you can bring that A plus and just over exaggerate the actions. Um, anything that you ask of your team, you do it at, a, at an A plus level. The hope is that you'll at least get that A out of them. Mm-hmm. So you know. The effort goes up um, because you're an example, not only for the club um, and for yourself, but for your team as well. Mm-hmm. So it's tricky, right? It's tricky. It's tricky. It's there's, definitely there's, tricky. There's so much to stay on top of. And, you know, I, I always feel I, I get hard on myself. I feel, man, I, I you know, it, it's I'm a, a business owner now. So I used to think, man, I, I can't get on this person too much or I can't get on this person too much. My only job is to get on people. Like that's my job. Yeah. However, my approach and how I do it and the delivery and the tonality and how my energy is extremely important. So, you know, I'm sure you have people on your team that you can talk to Sally uh, yeah. in a way, but you can't talk to Jeff the same way. So how yeah. do you approach your team? I and mean, you have to know your personality so well. How does that come into play? I think some of those things I want to say come natural. Um I can, I'm, I'm a big feeler, so I can totally feel vibes. At least I like to think I can. And I can tell almost right away the person I'm speaking to and how they'll best receive me. It's nothing that I've really practiced. It's something that's always come fairly natural to me. And I think, I think that's one of my gifts. My gift is, you know, my talent is that I work hard and I'm, I'm super curious and I'm, I'm willing to do what it takes to learn. But my gift, I think, is is being able to see other people's superpowers. And I say superpowers because you know, I'm, I'm certified with Precision Nutrition, and you know, in their coaching, they they talk about identifying your client's superpowers, and they and they'll teach you techniques in doing that. But I feel like that's something that's always come natural to me. It feels so good to me to be able to point out and highlight someone else's superpowers, and help them see their potential i love when someone pauses and they're like when they hear me speak and they're kind of gathering their thoughts like what is this person seeing because they haven't seen it in themselves maybe for so long and they just haven't been reminded um and so that's just something that's natural to me and i honestly believe that's what put me in my place i mean because to be honest in as as in the position that i'm in as a manager i'm supposed to be able to teach these guys certain things about training and nutrition and and while i know those things um i, I fairly know those things you know I, I dropped out of college my junior year and at that point i had only taken three fitness classes i was going for criminal justice and so i don't have in-depth knowledge in the field but i am i am capable of getting to see someone's superpowers highlighting them and then helping build a strategy around the ways that they can fulfill their potential by using those superpowers and i feel like that's what's really molded me you know let's say as a manager but i'm a terrible manager you know i just think i'm a pretty good leader and that's why a lot of times i struggle with that position too because it's not to say a leader is better right mm-hmm. you need a leader just as much as you need a manager and as a manager you know you're not paid to just be the leader and to work with people who are just as passionate 
as you. You're not. You're paid to work with the people who are less passionate about it, who care less about it, who you have to convince every day of the opportunity at hand, who you have to convince every day of why the little details matter. Um, you know, and, and that's who you're paid to work with. So sometimes that can be, you know, a little bit draining, but, you know, I have to say, you know, I have a really good team and, um, for the most part, you know, we're all in it for the same reasons and, and, and I think for the right reasons. And so we can all connect, you know, pretty well. And I have a, I have good trust with my team. And I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome. So you, you're, you've had a lot of success as a manager, uh, just because, you're you're a great you are a great leader Lewis and you're committed uh, you work extremely hard you're focused you're detail-oriented and what do you think are, are some of the things that you look for in a new hire hmm <laughs> and it's so hard right but yeah but we all say 80 20 80 percent of their skill was what they walked in with and you're gonna help mold the 20 percent but there's a few things like here we go uh, the person shows up, they show up uh, five minutes late. How do you feel about that? No, right away I can tell his level of commitment. The way you do one is the way you do all. Like, I honestly, I really believe that. But uh, there's a lot of traffic in Miami and, you know, uh, that's just, that's, you, 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 you plan ahead. You plan ahead because I'm not even looking at the act of you came late. I'm looking at the act of, you know, will this person be able to really fully prep? You and I know that what happens in the session, that's that's the easy part. You're just following through on what you've already prepared for, you know. So if you can't prepare, if you can't get there five minutes early, understanding there is, um, you know, in Miami, there is a lot of traffic. You know that Uh, you don't have to be here long to realize it. And so that right there, lack of preparation shows me you're not ready for this position because that is everything that we do. If you're not prepared, you're not helping anyone. You're just showing up, crossing your fingers and hope what you do that day works. Okay, they want great. They want to build their brand. They're really trying to build their brand, and uh, it's really important to them. They increase their social hmm. media profile. How do you feel about that, honestly? Yeah. Okay, so I think I think a cu- a couple of things. I'm not quick to write that off because right. in this day and age, you know, those things are important. And if they can start to see themselves as a brand, I think they begin to see and take themselves a little bit more seriously, too. So, you know, they're careful about the things. Hopefully, they're careful about the things that they say and post. Um, and why, that, why should they be careful? Because a lot of see what I run across is they say, hey, you know what, um, Mark? I mean, that's my private page, and um, I'm going to say whatever I want because that, that's the way I feel about things, which, you know what? This is what I say. I'm just going to jump in here. I don't like to do a lot of the talk. I want to hear about you, Lewis, but this is important to me, okay? Sure, so I want to hear it. I say, look, that is your personal page, and you pretty much can do whatever you want. I'm just merely making a suggestion, and I'm trying to encourage you to be mindful of your choices. Here's why. Number one, your clients judge sorry it's true Mm -hmm. i know it sucks but that's the truth they will judge you period yeah and if you don't have the same political or religious views that may not sit too well i'm not telling you to change your beliefs or change who you are i'm just saying what's important to you they may not necessarily place value in that sure that's number one number two i love my wife very much and i only get to spend a few hours with her a week because she works hard and i work hard so if I'm having a great dinner in Miami Beach and I run into someone at a restaurant and they want to talk about one of my trainers posting something very off the reservation yeah. kind of comment <laughs> yeah. or a post or pick, 
I'm going to have to spend an hour defending that trainer because that's who I am. That's what I do. Yeah. And that person's my family. And so, their act reflects on you. Right. So I'm not going to let someone talk negatively or have a bad understanding of who that individual is. Although they don't care, I care. Yeah. So I'm going to spend my time that I'm supposed to be spending with my family on defending their character. Not because I have to, but because that's who I am. Yeah. So they should be mindful of that as well. I agree. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. I mean, especially, you know, you work with a very tight and um, tight-knit group, not only just your member base, but also with your team. You know, you guys have uh, how many How many are you guys? Eight. Okay. Or nine. All right, you got nine guys. Um, so with eight or nine guys, I mean, yeah, you might as well have wrote the comment or you might as well have right. posted the picture because right. it's, it's a direct reflection of you. And... You know, I think it's very cool, especially in, in, in your predicament, you know, with your business. Um, it really is Mark's gym. You know, that's I think that's the way that it's grown to be, because I think the way that you, you know, that community was built, it was built, you know, around the positive vibe and energy that you bring around health and fitness. And the team that you've put together is they're molded. Like, for instance, you know, you were a huge mentor for me when I came on. So if I if I ever did anything, you know, or said anything because they would say, oh, you know, I see you train Mark's clients and you work, you know, you work a lot with Mark or you work out a lot with Mark or, you know, I see Mark is helping you out a lot. Once I had that that direct connection, that direct association, I knew that I had to be careful. Even just with, you know, if you work for a company and now you are you have that association, yeah, now you have to be careful. Otherwise, go out on your own and do your own thing. But if you're going to be a part of the team, if you're going to be a part of that association, well, then, yes, you need to be careful and you need to take everybody into consideration when you say something, not just yourself and your own views. And honestly, if you're sharing political views and any views outside of what your purpose is, well, then you have to ask yourself, are you on purpose or are you just bored? And sometimes in those moments of boredom is where things go wrong, right? Mm -hmm. Like even if we look at a lot of the issues that happen even in America, a lot of it happens in like in middle America where people are just bored and there's not enough going on. And, <laughs> you know, you're left alone with too much time. You know, things might go might go bad. And, you know, it's one of those things if you stay in your head, you know, that there's, there's going to be some issues possibly. Interesting. I appreciate it, Lewis. So what, what are your thoughts on that of team? So, you know, you have a staff. How many? Thirty. Yeah. Now we have a team of thirty. Yeah. Thirty. That's a huge group. Huge. What? What, what is your? I can only imagine how hard hard that is. What is your? What are your thoughts on team interaction and teamwork and being a part of the team? You know, as you said, it's very tricky. Yeah. Because, it's a brand within a brand. Yeah. You know, they're building themselves. They're building their own business, but they still they're repping a a higher. Right. Uh, they're under an umbrella. Right. Under an umbrella. Thank you. And. You know, they're still part of a team. It's still a team environment. So how do you push and try to strengthen that together everyone achieves more? Yeah, it, it can be difficult. What I believe, honestly, I'm all about team. I've been in a team since I was probably four years old when I started playing organized sports. I've never fallen out of that. Every year I played three sports, so every single season I was always, always with the team. So... You know, team is super important to me and 
the way that we try to drive that with, you know, with 30 individuals, like you said, that are building their own brand at the same time that they're under an umbrella um, and just keeping everybody on the same page. There's a couple of things. The first thing is that I'm always honest with my team. If there's anything going on uh, within the company, within the umbrella, let's say, you know, they're always fully aware. If there's anything that we're feeling, you know, we share it as a team uh, in meetings. We always ask for feedback. We try to break walls. So by allowing people to give feedback and not just talking about topics just on fitness but just asking them you know where are you you know and even if it has to do let's say i'm talking to somebody and they're talking about building their brand and it's already starting to move into like i want to develop my own business i still need to be supportive of that person because if i don't if i start to isolate them just because i think oh well they're not going to be here too much longer anyways i start to diminish the team and i get i i I bring down the value of the team so the idea is to always keep everybody together. I think f- sharing feedback in meetings and having people open up to one another. I mean, we cry in some of our meetings. We, we you know, and it's sometimes it's, it's you know, I'm leading it because, you know, that's the way I feel like I'm, I'm just a feeler. And I feel like if you're in this business of health and fitness and, and helping other people, it's because you're a feeler. You care for others sometimes more than you care for yourself, which is not noble at all. And it shouldn't be the case. You know, you should be so full that you're overflowing with energy and love and positivity. And that's where that comes from. It doesn't come from a half, you know, a half empty place because that never ends well. Because then you start thinking, what about me? I just care for everybody else and et cetera. But I honestly believe that if you're in this field, it's because you're a feeler. And I try to get that out, you know, out of my team as much as I can. I don't think there's there's anybody on my roster except for some of my new guys who just started who at some point haven't cried with us. Uh, I think that's huge. I think that brings you closer together because it brings it to a much more human level, not a title level. That's my manager. I'm just an employee. Um, You know, this is just a company that I work for. There's all these little separations that you try to create just to protect yourself because people, you know, they fear not being loved, not being chosen, not being cared for. Um, So, yeah, I think all those things are important. The way you do it is just by making everybody feel loved. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've learned many lessons working at a performance facility, working at a corporate wellness facility. You know, I get to be completely honest. The staff that we we are fortunate enough to have now, they, without a doubt, teach me more than I teach them. I think, uh, I'm sure at this point, they're well aware of that, but they're contributors, right? They're constantly contributing to the improvement of, of other people's lives, right? My life. And they're always giving back. They're good people. They're positive. They're just, they, they, every day uh, something comes by, I come home. Uh, my wife and I do this thing where what's the uh, high point and low point of your day? And it's usually myself bringing up Eric or Ethan or Grant or Jacqueline and just saying, you know, this is what happened today. And, uh, you know, I don't get, discuss the interpersonal details of our conversation but i will say this person taught me a very valuable lesson here was the lesson and she always laughs and um as if you didn't know that i said no i didn't know that and they taught me the lesson so i think it's important to have people around you that you know bring something to the table and i also think they don't you know yes i guess they work for me but you know i really believe in and i hope they feel that they work with me because I'm very lucky to have them, and we have uh, something incredible going on down there. So, um, and I know your team has it too because they have you. 
and I know you do it in an extraordinary way. It's so cool that you said that, that you, you know, you look for the lesson. Um, I think that keeps you in a growth mindset because what happens when you, when you take on a leadership role that's been assigned and titled, right? So you're the manager, you're the owner. Um, if you're not careful, it'll leave you in a fixed mindset and you'll start to act out in a way that you think you need them, you know, the way that you think you need to be perceived or seen in order to hold that position, in order to hold uh, the influence that you had um, at, a, at that certain point when they either started or whatever the case may be. But the fact that you collaborate, the fact that you're still looking for lessons, um, you know, in, in a good book I read, it talked about the only way you're going to get information, let's say you're reading or you're studying something, the only way you're going to get the information is if you're looking for the lesson. You know, if you're if you're just if you're just reading the words, well, then you're passively learning. You're not actively learning. You have to look for the lesson within the meaning of what's being said. Yeah. So the fact that you do that shows that there's tremendous growth that's going to come not only for you, but also for your team because you have a growth mindset. And what you're doing is you're reflecting that back to them. So hopefully when you talk, they're looking for the lessons, which will keep them growing. Right. So I think that's that's awesome, man. And that, that that that's it right there. The collaboration. That's really it. Absolutely. Doing it together in, in two quick things and two things I've learned over time. One thing was from Simon Sinek. <laughs> Don't pay so much attention to what's being said. You just said this in just different yeah. words. Pay attention to why it's being said. Sure. Right? And it's like, are you really paying attention? And he tells the story about the wallpaper and, you know, the wife, um, do you like the wallpaper, honey? And he says no. And she was really thinking, um, am I going to be a good mom? Yeah. And he didn't realize that. And he could have said, you know, you're going to be a great mom. I hate the wallpaper, but you're going to be a great mom. Yeah. That would have been fine, right? Yeah. And then the other thing was, you know, if you constantly conduct yourself and people say act as if or fake it till you make it and I don't believe in that oh, at all. Oh man. Yeah, I don't believe in that at all. That's another conversation right. there. Yeah. You're right. If you fake it till you make it well then you don't know it. You want to know it so you don't have to fake it. I yeah. agree with that. And then the other thing is if you constantly act like you have all the examples or excuse me if you know all the information if you have all the answers no one's going to rush to help you because you know everything. Yeah. I constantly, and I know it's not a self-deprecating, and not a self-deprecating mentality or approach, but I think sometimes when I tell myself I don't know that I don't have the answer, they think I'm joking. I say no, I really don't know that, and they yeah. don't understand. It doesn't compute in their head. I'm like, I want you to help me on this. Can yeah. you help me? Because when you work, you know, under an umbrella, the pieces, the spokes on the wheel, they're the most important thing for your company or your business, okay? Now, when they're the most important thing for your company and your business, you want to hear what they have to say. You want the feedback, right? You want them to be a part of it. I want them to speak up. Like, that's the most important thing in the world. I want them to take an active role in what's going on. That's me. Yeah, you have to be able to claim your ignorance at some point in time. You know, that fake it till you make it only takes you so far. And if you're not doing it with an open mind, understanding that you are faking it, you know, 
that you don't know. Um, you have to be able to claim your ignorance to someone. It might not be to the person that you're working with, um, but you have to be able to claim it to someone so that you can stay grounded. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I, I manage with another manager and we, we talk about this stuff all the time. And, you know, we just had the conversation. You know that I, I follow Tony uh, Robbins a lot. And, you know, he says something that's so true. He says, style is more important than substance initially and there he i love it because he leaves this long pause and then he says initially because style is important because like you said earlier people will people will judge so you want to make sure that and, and it's within a matter of seconds it has nothing to do you know with what you say like that's you're already too late you know before you open your mouth you've already been judged so style is more important than substance initially but you gotta bring substance at some point and it's like what you said. It's like, you know, making sure that uh, the spokes are in alignment is the most important part. Well, he, well, here's why. You know, it's like when we talk about dieting or quick fixes or hard hardcore training, the faster you get there will be the faster you fall out. It's not about who can get there the quickest. It's about can you get there and maintain that? It's about sustainability. If you want to grow your business, if you want to scale it, it's about sustainability, not about how fast can you get it up and running. You know, in some cases, yeah, that might be the case. You, you're going to have to get it up and running fast if you want to compete with, the, let's say, major markets. But you're still going to need sustainability. So at some point, you're going to have to think about how can we create substance so that we can maintain this level of output for a long period of time? Because that's the only way you're going to see success, right? Because like uh, I forget who said it, but success is hard to attain and ever fleeting. That means you're constantly going to be chasing it. So how long can you last in the race? is really what we're talking about here. It's not a matter of can you get in the race, can you get ahead quickly, it's about, and we've seen that, I run a 5K with you, and I see guys that start shooting off the line, and I'm thinking, oh my God, this guy's gonna kill everybody, and then, I mean, I'm not gonna say I'm passing them up, but I see other people passing these guys up, and I'm thinking, wow, these guys were clueless. You know, but I thought they were gonna win, and usually the world will see it that way too, and they like those guys who get off quick. You know, they pay very few attention to the guys who have that stoic mindset, that growth mindset, that I'm in it for the long run. Those are the boring guys usually to be around because they practice the same things every day, those small details. And, and you know, it's funny. A movie comes to mind. Remember the movie A Bronx Tale? Yes. A Bronx Tale is a movie about uh, two sides of the fence in the Bronx, New York. So you have Robert De Niro, who's the working man who drives a bus. And he's raising his son, Clodro. And on the other side of the fence, you have a uh, the head of the mafia. And the kid doesn't look up to his father because he's the working man who goes to his job every day for 30 years driving a bus. And he doesn't think anything of his father once he sees the mafia head. And he says, mm. you know, I want to be like the mafia head because he has the girls, he has the money, he has the cars, he has all the attention. My father, he's the sucker. The working man's the sucker. And it's interesting, the bus driver drives the bus for 30 years, creates a nice life for his family, his wife, and his son. And the mafia uh, head he lives for, you know, into his early 40s, and then he gets killed by someone else mm. because of the lifestyle. Sure. And the guy who gets up every single day and puts his head down and does his job is always viewed as the sucker. And he says, you know what? I don't have to do that. I'm going to work smarter, not harder. What are your thoughts on that? I think you're, 
I, I love that story. I think it's it's so true. Uh, I think you taught me that too, because because when I started working with you, the I remember I remember other trainers saying, um, "Oh, you know, Mark's getting off on that because you know he was in the NFL, or it's just because he has the look, or it's just because whatever. You know, you can pick anything out of a hat. It probably was said, and." I started to believe those things almost. I'm like, yeah, you know, this guy's probably just lucky or, you know, it's just fitting, um, et cetera. And then I got to hang around you and watch the level of output. And all I kept thinking was, holy shit, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. You know, people think that you just go in there and, oh, he just looks the part. It's just genetics. I'm telling you, it was just anything you can think of. Pick it out of a hat. And that's what was said. And it was, it, it, everything was to diminish or it was just to ignore the type of work effort that went into it um seeing you you know sometimes we would work out 2 33 o'clock in the morning and even just the workouts it was never enough you know i remember i remember sometimes we would work out and past the warm-up i'm like you know well what i thought was the workout i'm thinking like man that was crazy i'm i'm dead and you say all right you feel good cool let's go do this now and i'm like go do what now i thought that was it so the way that you challenge yourself the intrinsic motivation that goes on that drive that goes on and you don't just take it and talk about it you know honestly i think that was another one of the things that you taught me was like just shut up and work you know and i remember one day you asked me if i was going to work out and i paused and it was just like 10 seconds later, you kind of looked at me and you were like, all right, man, I'm going to go work out. So, and, and it was just, it was just that initial pause was like, I dude, I don't have time to wait. You know, this, I'm, I'm going to do this. Either you want to jump on or you want to jump off. You make your decision. I'm going to go start right now. The fact that you didn't wait for me, like that kind of build this level of urgency in me that I had never felt before. Right. Because it's always like, oh no, it's okay. You can do it later or do it tomorrow or and that never got me anywhere. And so once I started to pick up on those things and I realized how hard you worked, um, whether it was in the morning when we were training or it was in the afternoon when you were, you know, uh, on some of the DVDs with RTS and learning some of those things, I'm like, man, or revising your articles, making sure that what you're saying in your articles makes sense, that it's scientifically proven, making sure that you're not just putting minutia out there. Um, it was it was crazy. I, I didn't realize the level of work that really went into what you did along with the travel, the crazy schedule. Um, so I really started to understand, you know, what most people thought was an advantage to you was actually a disadvantage. Oh, cause he's traveling and he's doing all these things and he, he's with muscle tech. Yeah, that's a lot of work. So the fact that you could still do that and then come train, you know, eight to 10 people in a day, it was mind blowing, but no one saw that, you know, they, they chose to see what they wanted to see. And most of the time they wanted to see all the advantages so that they could feel like they were doing enough. That's really what it comes down to is like, I want to feel like I'm okay because understanding how much work really goes into it is, is, is a, is a challenge not only to, to me and what I would have to do, but to my ego, who's telling me I'm good enough and this is great. And you know, when the truth is you could probably be doing more mm -hmm. or better. Well, listen, firstly, thank you. Um, really thank you for your kind words and Dude, I, thank you for the lessons. It. Yeah, thank you for the lessons, well, man. You told me a lot of, you still teach me a lot of lessons. So, um, thank you for, uh, the joint effort really. And it's, uh, it's been so much, uh, I've fun and I've had a lot of joy going through all these life hurdles and obstacles and life lessons, uh, with you as a friend and 
man, there's many more to go. And and you know what's interesting? There's so many people out there who just don't know. I always use the a example of an NFL football game. Like my wife and I would usually go to uh, these different locations to watch football games, and we stopped doing it. Because, number one, I have tr- trouble sitting down watching these games. Number two, you, I always get the guys on my right and left saying, oh, man, this guy should have done this. We should have done that. They have no idea how much work went into that week yeah. to lead up to that game with yeah. the films and the lifting and the running and the practice and yeah. hearing crap from coaches and getting screamed at and being on a line. You might get cut this week. You might get sent home. You have this going on, this going on. I'm injured, but I have a fractured fibula. Like, yeah. There's so much that goes on. I can't listen to that. And what we do and the things that I was doing – I got to be completely honest. I don't know any other way. I don't think there's anything wrong with someone crushing just sessions all day, working their their butt off. I know a guy like that. I have so much respect for him. He kills it, and he works yeah. his butt off. There's so much that goes on outside of the actual job. Not because you want to invest your time in so many other things, but because there's so many other things happening that are a piece of that puzzle, and you have to get used to being comfortable in chaos yeah. because life will never present you with this perfect scenario where you're completely rested, where you're completely, uh, you feel amazing. Your nutrition's on point. You got a, an hour and 15 minutes for your workout every day. It's perfect. It's never going to be like that. Yeah. So you really have to understand. I have to get comfortable functioning in chaos. I don't care if that's a relationship, your work schedule, and you know, there's certainly ways to organize it. Yeah. But you'll always get a curveball. Yeah. And and you'll the, the the amount of time and effort and sacrifice that's gone into trying to make everything whole and get to where I am right now. Wow. Yeah. Man. You know, one of my favorite interviews because I listen to the podcast a lot Thank was you. with Ricky, and because Ricky was talking about um, the uh, the combine. Is that what it's called? Yeah. yeah, the NFL Combine. NFL Combine. And he was talking about the prep work that goes into it. And he's like, you know, you sit at home. And even for him, who was, you know, a big-time high school and college athlete, even for him to sit there and say, you know, I would sit at home and watch and be like, oh, I could do that. I could run the 40, no problem. And then he starts talking about everything that goes on off the camera that you don't get to see, the type of prep work that goes in. Some of these guys waking up at 5 o'clock in the morning to go run their 40, and you start thinking about those things. You know, I, I Honestly, I, I really enjoyed his interview because he gave such great insight um, You know, going from the, from the time that he was in high school all the way into the NFL, but really talking about the ins and outs of really being in the league or what it really takes to be you know, of that 1% and the athletes that get to play at that level. Um, it's crazy. It's yeah. crazy the amount of work, the pressure, the little things that you you wouldn't pay attention to, um, like some of the interview process and things like that. It's crazy. It's crazy. You, you know, it's on par with uh, I talk about the military and, you know, you talk about the Yeah, I have so much respect for the military and the SEALs and what they go through. Now, in the NFL, this is what happens. Uh, let in Miami, for example, I'll be in our facility. I'll be in another gym. I'll be uh, walking somewhere in Miami Beach, and you could throw a dime and hit five guys that look like they could play in the NFL right now. I mean, they look amazing. Yeah. But just because you're six five, two hundred and thirty pounds, and have the body of a Greek god, that means absolutely nothing. Yeah. That yeah. means nothing. They go, that guy should <laughs> be a professional athlete. Yeah. I go, what makes you think that his size? I said, do you understand that 
that is the smallest piece of the pie. Yeah. Like having the size, that's fine. But you have to be able to run. You have to be strong. You have to have great balance. You have to be agile. And all those things are a distant second yeah. to having a high football acumen. Yeah. Like if you don't have a high football acumen and if you don't understand the game and you are not a true athlete and you can't persevere when you take a shot in the leg, it's like someone hits you in the quad with a hammer and you have to just brush that off. You can't, if you give that more than a second of thought, you're done. Yeah. If you twist your ankle and you have to come out, you're done. Yeah. If you get hit in the head and you feel dizzy, you're done. That's it. That's what it is. Yeah. You have to be able to line back up and do it again. Yeah. Line back up and do it again. All while you are completely locked in, zoned in, and completely focused, not losing your cool and being collected and being smooth yeah. and giving great effort. All those things. So when someone says, oh, that guy's jacked. He should be in the NFL. I'm just, I just shake my head and say, you're out of your mind. Yeah. Mark, even now, man, I get people that will be like, man, you look really fit. You know, you should, you ever think about the UFC? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Are you out of your mind? You know, they Yeah, I could no probably fight. Throw idea. me in there against Bone, John Bones Jones. I could fight. It's hilarious. So, I mean, yeah, even now, I still get that all the time where people are like, man, you're really jacked, man. You you should be trying out for this professional team or doing the UFC. I'm like, you have no clue. But I got to be honest, I had no clue up until I met you. I don't know if you remember when I first started. I first started, I remember I told you, I said, Mark, man, I see it. I had this dream. It's crazy. I'm going to go to the major leagues next year. I'm like, watch. <laughs> right? <laughs> and I remember you looked at me and you're like, Lewis, if you believe in yourself, you can do anything. And I'm like, but you had this look like, but good luck. And uh, yeah, and then and then I started working out with you and I was like, yeah, I'm probably going to get in and scratch that. Because <laughs> I, again, you know, I thought with just a hope and a dream, you can make anything possible. And it's not true. You need a hope and a dream and then you need a strategy and a ton of action, a ton of action. And yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah, I mean, again, same, same thing. That's something else you taught me where you're like, look, look for your advantages and then just work really, really hard at that. And, you know, that's what I've kind of found in the world of health and fitness and, you know, creating behavioral changes with my clients is I found something that I've got an advantage in. It comes natural to me. And now I'm just looking for ways to maximize that opportunity and work toward mastery. Mm hmm. And where do you see yourself, Lewis? You're you're in fitness and and, and wellness went on and off the air. Lewis said, "Man, this is my life. I absolutely love it." And I know he loves it. I could see he's got that look in his eye. He's <laughs> extremely passionate. He is knowledgeable. Um, knows his stuff backwards, and and will always continue to learn and be a student. Lewis, where do you see yourself in five years? Where, talk about your yeah. pathway, some of your goals, and. What, what, what is your vision like? Yeah, so two years ago, I told myself, okay, I'm going to make 100 transformations. I did two that year. Um, so what I realized that, you know, right now I'm in a position where I'm learning a ton of different lessons. I'm learning how to organize um, both myself as well as a team. And, I'm, and, and more importantly, I'm learning how to organize people around an idea, one idea where we can, you know, get around that idea and all work toward it at once. Um, so I'm learning a lot of great lessons, but where I, you know, I don't see myself spending too much more time uh, in management um, only because I see 
my ideas are starting to come together the more that I learn and I tie in all the different aspects that I like. You know, health and fitness, there's so many different directions that you can go with that. You know, I know people that are crazy about biomechanics and love to see the way the body moves and manipulating that. I see other people who love the the nutrition aspect of it and learning about diuretics and things like things of uh, that are that revolve nutrition and things of that nature. You know, so I see a bunch of different things. What I like about it is the coaching. I like coaching. I like changing the mindset. You know, Tony says this as well. He says, you know, in any Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins. So in anything that you do, twenty percent of it is the technique or strategy, right? The mechanics, while the eighty percent is mindset or your psychology. And that's the part that I really like to affect. So to be honest, sometimes for instance, I have a client and we've lost a ton of weight together. Um, but I remember we hit. I noticed how you said we've lost, which is yeah. true. Yeah, it's yeah. True. We, we go through the process together for sure. It's always um, it's always a team effort. And so we've lost, you know, we lost a lot of weight together. And we hit a point where, you know, things started. She kind of hit a plateau, but it was just because there was too many other aspects going on. And look, if stress levels are high, I don't care how well you diet. I don't care how well you move. Um you know, stress is, there's a, a biochemical change that occurs in the body and that is going to influence your weight loss. And that is not it anyways. You know, the result is not the number that you see on the scale. And so anyways, long story short, um, we decided to take a week off. And in that week, we just talked about it. You know, we re-strategized. We, we built out our vision. We looked at the challenges, you know, the new challenges. We looked at our reality as it is. The truth is that when we hit a plateau, things changed. And instead of reevaluating, re-strategizing around the new conditions, we kept playing as if, you know, the old scenario was still there. And it just wasn't. So once that reality changed, we had to change our strategy. We took a week off, and in that week, we broke the plateau by not training. Simply, we met three days in that week, and we just went over our strategies. We, we you know, we we were able to kind of de-stress her a little bit just by allowing her to talk through her problems, and then just seeing ways that we could then create a strategy around it, so that we don't have to feel that way anymore, and we can move on to okay, well, look, this is where we are now. Here's where we want to go, and let's get back on it. So, you know, taking we, time off, huh? Yeah, we took a week off and we just really just worked on the psychology aspect of it. And voila, we lost two pounds. Um, so it was, it's really cool. And I'm not saying that that was just it. She was obviously still on her diet. But, um, you know, I really enjoy that. So within the next five years, uh, the way I see myself kind of moving things is uh, creating a system where I think technology is playing, a you know, it's, it's playing a bigger and bigger role every day in all our lives and especially now in the world of health and fitness and you constantly see all these different apps and things like that um, and I really feel like that's where it's going and uh, John Berardi, Dr. John Berardi who's the head of Precision Nutrition called it you know high tech, high touch and he's got a system called Pro Coach, and I've been dabbling with it a little bit. How is that system? A very cool system. It's all about behavior coaching. It's built out for the long haul. It's 365 days, um, and it's constantly checking in. It's building small habits little by little. I mean, the first habit is just making time, so you kind of see where that program goes. It doesn't go into macros and calories or any of that stuff, um, at least not initially. So it starts off with just making small 
small changes, right? And in those small changes, we become more confident, we become more competent, and we welcome more challenges in, in the changes of habits. And so they become a little bit tougher each time, slowly easing someone out of their comfort zone, because obviously in your comfort zone, nothing will change. I really like their model. Um, and that, so what I'd like to do is really combine that idea of high tech, high touch by using a system somewhat like um, the one that John Berardi and his team has put together and then putting together small group training, creating small communities to help people lose weight. So creating a positive environment, a strong community that will support that environment and hopefully getting ridiculous results like 100 transformations in a year. Do you have an ideal client that you like to work with? Uh, or, or do you have like, what, what type of person do you, you, I mean, I talked to a young, younger trainer today. He said, you know, Mark, if I can get a, uh, a man or a woman in their mid forties and they just, he said, you know, if they're really motivated, <laughs> they're overweight oh and they're really motivated and uh, they're, they're an ideal client. And okay. my initial thought was if they're overweight, they're probably not really motivated no. and you have to put that work in, but. Yeah, or I, hear, <laughs> I like to I like to train a professional athlete who can jump through the roof and run fast and is big and strong. Right, me too. Right. But do you have a uh, a client that you prefer to work with, or is that anyone, Lewis? Uh, someone around you know, thirty to forty years old, uh, a little overweight, and really motivated to do something. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, I, my ideal client, honestly, I really enjoy working with women. Uh, I have a lot of male clients and, you know, I, I enjoy training them as well. But I've had some really, really cool experiences working in particular with women. A reason being is because you break so many different boundaries and limitations when you work. Um, not with all women, because there's plenty of women who are, you know, fully empowered and they're, you know, they, they totally believe in what's, what's possible for them. But in the world of health and fitness, a lot of times when, when we work with women or when I work with women, I feel like there's a lot of, you know, old stigmas and limiting beliefs. And, you know, that's something that I enjoy breaking down because it really is just a mindset. And, you know, there's a lot of women that I've met in my life uh, that I've worked with and trained with who've had some limiting beliefs they had the physical capacity. They were able to commit the time. They were able to commit the effort, but the effort was dictated by the thought of what was possible. And because that was limited, so was their result. And so you can work as hard as you want, but the chances are, if you don't really believe in what's possible in the result that you're after, if you don't believe it's possible, you're gonna give a half-ass effort. Because one part of you wants it, and you're thinking, you know, you're moving through blind hope, you know, some might call it. Um, but another piece of you is like, yeah, but that's probably never going to happen. Or, you know, yeah, but, you know, it's not possible for me to look that way or whatever the case may be. And, you know, I'm telling you, you're wrong. You know, you can really create anything you want to create. But the first thing you have to do is you've got to just adjust that story. You know, that mindset that you have of what is and what is not possible. So I really enjoy working with women. For some guys, they come in and they feel like they're owed something. You know, they feel like, well, I should be jacked. You know, I should be big or, you know, I'm a man and I should look this way. And those are some fun limiting beliefs to break down too, and just kind of get them comfortable within their own skin so that 
Again, because if all you're after is the result and you're not really, you don't enjoy the process, well, good luck maintaining that result, number one. And number two, when you look in the mirror and you finally have that body that you were after, okay, great. Now, you Damn know, that right. success lasts as long as you're in front of that mirror, you know, because that's not going to change the way that you think about you. But if you were able to highlight the process and say, wow, you know, I was really committed, you know, wow, I can't believe that, you know, I really pulled that off, you know, wow, I can't believe that, you know, I stuck to the program. I said, you know, I said I was going to do this and I actually did it. You know, that starts to say that starts to say things about your character. And that's what gives you the confidence it has nothing to do with the body, it has everything to do with your sense of awareness throughout the process. All right. Do you think that. um Louis, you, you like to work with women because of the strong relationship you have with your mother and uh, the women in your family? Man, actually, that's that's a great point. I mean, yeah, you know, my mom was definitely one of those people who, man, talk about limiting beliefs, you know? Um, I've heard lots of, you know, amazing stories about your mom, and I know what a strong influence she is in your life. Yeah. And I just think maybe... Uh, you know, you're, you're you're so so seasoned with women in your family. Maybe that's why you know you have that strong yeah. skill set. Yeah, I mean, well, I have you know, I've got my mom, and I've got a good connection with my mom, and I've got you know my two sisters. I've got a, a sister who's a year older, and I've also have a twin sister. So maybe that's the uh, that that side of me. But you know, to be honest, if I really think about it now, now that you bring that up. You know, I have to say what I what I'm able to give to some of my female clients, you know, and the way honestly, sometimes even when I speak to them or I share information with them or I'm trying to motivate them, you know, sometimes it, it's it's almost as if I'm like speaking to my mom or I'm helping her in the way that I've wanted to help her, um, you know, break limiting beliefs and help her understand, you know, what she's really capable of. Mm. But um, so, yeah, I think my mom definitely has an influence there. And yeah, I mean, to be honest, you teach that, you know, it's a saying that goes, you teach that what you want to learn most. And what I've always wanted to learn is, you know, how can I push myself? There's things that I want and then I don't work for it. And I'm like, and I have this feeling of ambivalence where I'm like, I know what I have to do and I, and I know I want it, but I just, I just, I'm not, I'm not doing it. And I always said, you know, I always prayed for a mentor and I wish that I had that coach or that person that would help me. Um, even as a young kid, uh, you know, I never felt like I was fully supported. So, you know, that's something that I like to give to other people to remind them of how, you know, because those things have very strong influences on me. And I don't think that people really notice that. Uh, they would say like, you know, well, that kid's really good. You should know how good you are and you should be doing this, that and the other. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, I think it's so important to have someone who's willing to stand behind you, remind you of what you're capable of and keep you on path, keep you on purpose. Um, so yeah, mm. for sure. Awesome. Awesome. So you being a, a leader at the facility you work at now, do you have any leadership do's and don'ts that, you know, that are sitting at the top of your head that you could share with us? Cause a lot of people are listening to the show who are business owners who do lead. They yeah. may own, uh, you know, whatever it may be, um, you know, businesses, uh, restaurants, whatever. Um, do you have any leadership do's and don'ts that, you know, that you've learned, that you've yeah. experienced? Yeah. Um, what I would say is probably one of the most important things for me, like one of the don'ts is I don't get too involved with my team. 
Um, we do dinners and things like that. And I keep it to just that, uh, you know, the let's go drink afterwards or let's go do this. Once things start to get too friendly, I back off and I back off really quick. Um, and I stick to my guns as far as like, Hey, this is who I am, you know, and, and I want nothing but direct associations to health, fitness, wellness, positive, uh, positivity, change, um, those are the only associations that I want. And so sometimes things can get a little loose and especially in the environments that we work in, um, you know, and we're in Miami, etc. I don't take part in those things and I keep my distance just to keep the respect at like, look, this is, you know, this is my position. These are my associations and I won't break from that character unless I feel it will genuinely help or uplift someone else. Right. You know, it's interesting. I heard uh, one of my favorite guys on radio say this the other day. He was talking about the company uh, Christmas party. And he said he worked at a company that canceled their Christmas party and he thought it was a brilliant idea that they canceled it. Yeah. And he said, why did they, they asked him on the show, why did you think it was great that they canceled the Christmas party? He said, because no one ever... Uh, after a Christmas party, you ne- you've never heard anyone say, hey, man, I got a raise at the, at, the, at, the, at the Christmas party. Hey, man, you hear about the promotion I got at the yeah. Christmas party? It was always like, okay, alcohol comes out, yeah. and all of a sudden, everyone's acting crazy. People are yeah. acting a fool, and all of a sudden, this person's fired, this person's demoted, yeah. this person's fired. You're better off just not going. And there's some people in my life that you know, I never understood Hey man, you got to get get involved, and you got to do this. Now look, I'm 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 a huge proponent. My team knows me very well. If we're gonna go out to eat, I want everyone there. Yeah, I want everyone there. That's it. I mean, if you're a part of a team, you have to do team things. Yeah, that's the way it works. Yeah, in the culture, if you don't want to do what teams do, you shouldn't be there. Right. I believe that, but if you don't want to be in an environment because you feel like you may be tempted uh, because of some of the influences of society, I understand that more than anyone. Yeah. I'm, I don't want you to be in that environment. Yeah. And if someone comes to me and tells me I don't want to be there because of this, I'm an, I'm an understanding person. I don't want that person there because that means they know themselves and yeah. I'm okay with that. Yeah. That's I'm okay with that. So what, what else? What, do you have any other uh, leadership don'ts that are sitting on the top of your head, Lewis? Um, that would be one of the bigger don'ts. Uh, the other thing is always, you know, follow up and follow through. If Follow through. Yeah, yeah, big time. So if you say you're going to do something, you better do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the thing, because now here's the thing, is that you lose your influence in that meeting when you you know you pull your guy to the side and you say hey you said you were gonna do oh yeah you know you you, you kind of feel like that inner turmoil because you're like man but i always forget to do this or you know i say that i'm gonna do this and i don't do that and so now how are you gonna hold anybody accountable you just uh, can't uh, yeah and i've certainly been there in that one i'm like yeah. man you have all these balls in the air and you forget certain things you can't hold your team accountable so I understand that very much. Yeah, we all have to do huge. a good job. Yeah. Doing what we say and following through. Yeah. And Absolutely. you always say this is is under promise over deliver. Oh yeah. Yeah. I said I'm not so sure that can happen, but I will keep you posted. <laughs> exactly. I will keep you posted. I'm not going to exactly. promise anything because I don't know if it can happen. Yeah. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah. I want you to know the truth. I'm yeah. not so sure that's realistic. Yeah. It sounds nice. 
And I'd love to come right back after and say, we're going to make that happen. Yeah. But we don't know if we can make that happen. Yeah. You know, and, and I've had situations like that where I've asked you for something or whatever. And if you couldn't get it done right there in the moment, then you would tell me, well, you know, I don't know if that can happen, but I will do my best. And then if it could happen in the moment, well, it was just going to happen in the moment. Mid-sentence, you would pick up your phone and start dialing for whatever favor it was that I asked for. Um, so that was something else that I learned. And, you know, I try not to do that. It comes even when I, you know, even if you do do that, usually it comes from a good place. You genuinely want to help that person. But, you know, whether it speaks to their conscious or subconscious mind, what it's be- what's being said is that you're, you're you, you know, they can't trust you. So, cause you can't hold yourself accountable. Right. So it's so important just to under promise over deliver. Absolutely. Leadership dues. Leadership dues would be practice what you preach. Um, practice what you preach. Don't talk about it. Do it. Do it. Um, you know, you guys, you want your guys to work harder, work harder. Don't ask them to work harder. Just do it. Um, whatever it may be, you want, whatever it is that you're asking for, you're always going to get a reflection of what you're putting out. So if you're getting a lack of effort from your team, if you're getting a shitty attitude from your team, whatever it is that you're getting is what you're putting out. So you really got to, you know, as a leader, you got to constantly, constantly check yourself. You got to check yourself. And that's why the other day I posted that book, um, Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday. And that's one of those checkpoints, you know. And Great book, by the way. Thank you yeah. very much. And I passed it to everyone and it, there's already a few people on the team that are really appreciating it but you you were saying like remember the part of the book that was it um rockefeller mm-hmm. was it rockefeller? he talks about rockefeller in the and book he, yeah. and he talks about how he used to have conversations with himself right yeah and he said we can we can probably chalk rockefeller up as the only person in history who said i'm going to be the richest person in the world and actually became the richest person in the yep. world and he would have conversations with himself at night where he would check himself. He said, you, you've done everything. You are the man. You are the most powerful person yeah. in the world. You don't have to care what anyone else thinks or do. He said, wait a minute. I need to listen to people. I need yeah. to listen to feedback. And I should care. Yeah. And I haven't accomplished everything I want to accomplish. So I, I can't really think that way. Yeah. No, it's okay. You can relax. You can do whatever you want to do. And yeah. he would go back and forth. Yeah. He would answer himself, which may border on lunacy. Yeah. But I think it takes a little bit of lunacy to get there. Exactly. You know, communication is everything. Not only the way that you communicate with others, but the way that you communicate to yourself. You know, what you say about you is what matters most. Because often, you know, we get so caught up in thinking about what other people think about us. But sometimes the harshest things we say, you know, or that are said about us are said by us. Um, so it's, it's, it's really important. And in that book, you know, he makes so many different, like, really good points one is and i'm probably going to butcher this but he talks about most people talk about it um then think about it then do it and he talks about you know it should be in in reverse you should do it then think about it if you have to strategize or re-strategize and then talk about it um so I, I think that he made a great point there. And then he talks about as far as like checking yourself, you know, as a leader, you know, he says something like often the ego keeps successful people from seeing what's possible because it keeps them focused on what was already done. You know, something along those lines where, you know, you get caught following that highlight reel in your head 
of all the cool things that you did yesterday or the day before, or the month before, or that title that you received or that success. But again, like you know, like I said earlier from that quote is success is hard to attain and never fleeting. So, you know, and then in the training world, we always say, you know, you're only as good as your last session. Those are the kinds of things that keep you on check and keep you delivering at 110% where it's not just repetitive, where, you know, repetition is important at times, but you got to make sure that you're constantly on a feedback loop and you're using that feedback in order to change each and every time to improve. Mm -hmm. I love that book. Yeah. Great book. Do you have any other books that you, you want to uh, send the listeners to in, in their direction? I know you've, yeah. you, we, we're always passing books back and forth, and you've given me some real gems, so thank you. Yeah. But are there any books that you've read recently or just books in history that you just love? Hmm. I've got a lot of books I like. This is kind of hard. Um, if I said in, in the world of, like, let's just say PT. So if you want to become training. Yeah, a personal trainer and you want to be more involved in that, um, there's a couple of good books. There's one that uses um, neuro-linguistic programming, which is called um, The Secrets of a Six-Figure PT. And he talks about identifying the inner checklist and not guessing, right, or throwing darts in the dark, right? Like truly understanding that person's wants and needs and, you know, their influences, because the easiest way to influence someone is to know what already influences them. Um, he makes a lot of great points in that book and teaches some cool techniques. That's a really cool book. I, I really enjoy that one. I love Influence by Robert Caldini or Cialdini is the way it's pronounced. Mm. It's an amazing book. And it reminds you that you might think you're this special snowflake. Uh, <laughs> we're not. No. I, we were all so, snowflakes. <laughs> so the idea is that we're all wired exactly the same. Our, our software will change depending on our environment, but we, we all start off with the same wiring. And so that wiring can be manipulated and, and, and influenced. So he talks about the different principles. There's six principles to influence, and he talks about those. And so if you're in this field, you need to be very persuasive. Because you're asking people to change, and change is so difficult. Even if it's a good change, it's difficult. So to get somebody to do that, you know, you got to be really good at persuading because you're constantly selling. And to some trainers, it sounds crazy to them. They're like, I got to sell you on why being healthier is better. I literally had a, a trainer come to me the other day, and she's like, I met with somebody, and she was telling, like, she literally asked me what's I don't get it like what's so valuable about working out or by exercising mind you this woman was sitting in front of her you know probably 15 pounds overweight and she was telling her to convince her and I thought well a I obviously got to work with that trainer to be able to you know so that it doesn't get to that point you know you should be communicating in a way that it's obvious of you know, the benefits of living a healthy lifestyle. But even just the fact that she would ask that, I thought it's funny, but you're constantly persuading these people of why living a healthier lifestyle is better. Right. You know, and and that really is your job if you're doing it well. No matter what, you're absolutely right. I mean, there's so many people in this world that have trust issues with each other. I mean, families have trust issues with other relationships, boyfriend, girlfriend, husbands, wives, uh, kids with their parents, 
you think that a person who just walked into a facility is absolutely going to trust you with their health immediately? If you think that, you're in the wrong field, man. Yeah. Like, they're not going to trust you. And more to the point where when it comes time for them to invest in you financially, you think they're going to open up the wallet and put down for 50 sessions for $5,000? I got news for you. They, that's not just going to happen. You have to build that relationship, and you have to give them Every a day. Re- You have to give them a reason to trust you. Yeah. And if you're not giving them no reasons, you're not going to be very successful. Yeah. Like, you, they want to show me. It's a show me, don't tell me. Show me exactly why I should trust you, and I'll think about it. Yep. So every day, as a trainer, right, every single day, it trainers get excited when they sell a package, right, or when they get somebody to commit initially. And I always say this. There's a difference between buying and buying in. So when a client buys a package, okay, terrific. I remember as a young trainer, I would get excited. I'd say, wow, I really did a good job. You know, this person, you know, they committed to so many sessions. I know that I got them for the long run. Wrong, wrong. There's a difference between buying and buying in. And I've learned that difference. And the difference is, is a matter of answering five different questions. And again, this is something that I learned um, from Tony Robbins in one of his influence books. And what you constantly have to sell your clients on every single session Number one, and this is this is not just in your initial assessment. This is every single time, four years later with some clients, five years later with with some clients, and it's still the same deal. Number one, is it worth it? I have to show them the value every single time we meet in order to constantly answer that question of, is it worth it for them, not for me, right? I know it's worth it, but I have to keep reminding them of why it's worth it for them. Number two, how do you do that? How do you do that? By constantly finding. So the only way to when you exchange value, the only way to exchange value is to connect the dots. Meaning if you let's say you go into anatomy, anatomy is a ridiculous facility for me as like a fitness professional. When I look at that facility, I'm like they have everything that you need. And especially one of the main focuses in that facility is that is that is all the regeneration that's involved in that facility, what, what's put in there to make sure that you can sustain that lifestyle, which is the little details that no one wants to pay attention to, keeping the spokes in alignment. That's what, that's what you guys do really well there. So when, when, you're, when you're teaching the value, you have to keep it consistent with connecting the dots. So... That facility to me is amazing. I look at this and, and I have a different understanding. So I look at it and I can totally see how it has every single resources that resource that you could possibly need in a facility in order to maintain, not only in order to attain, but to maintain and sustain a healthy lifestyle, optimal living. But they don't know that, right? So your average Joe that's- to, Yeah, to us. Right. Okay. So your average Joe walks in and they see a fancy facility with fancy equipment and cool cool pools, right? And it's got cool air chandelier. Yeah. Oh, nice chandelier. It's it's so nice. But until you make the connection to this is why you need this. So here's that want or that need that you have and here's that this this is the resource that will help fulfill that. Now you've got value. But until you do that, then it's just a bunch of fancy shit. You got fancy equipment, fancy chandeliers. It means nothing to them until they understand how it connects to them personally. 
And so each and every time you have to help them connect the dots. This is your want and this is how I can fulfill it. This is your need and this is how we fulfill it. So that's how we constantly show value by understanding where that person is at that point in time and then connecting a resource that I may have or that the facility I work at may have and showing them how to use that in light of what they need or want. Number two is I is do you trust me? So every single time out with a client, I have to buy their trust back every single time. I have to assume that this person doesn't know me from the next and I have to make our connection greater and greater each and every time by breaking down walls, by getting, by allowing them to open up, allowing them to be vulnerable. And also for myself, I can't expect that if I'm not putting that out. So understanding that whatever I get back is a direct reflection of what I'm putting out. Um, so staying aware of my behavior around clients as well to make sure that each and every time I'm not just assuming they trust me. I'm earning their trust every time. Number three is how do other people around you support you or how do they feel about you training? That's huge. That's huge. And it's mind boggling that a trainer can go through an assessment and not even ask what their social support is like. Who's going to help them along this journey? Forget about who's going to help them along this journey. Think about this. This is the way I, I, I put it into terms. If you asked me to make a large sum purchase, let's say it's 5000 for the 50 sessions, there's a couple things that are going to go into my mind first, and those are some of my motives. My main motive is my family. So I'm going to think about this. I'm going to say, okay, 5000 to train. Okay, well, this would obviously be good. It works toward my career, right? This is what I do, and so I can see the benefits there, and if I have a better body, that'll help my business. Right. Those are some of the things that are important. But the first thing I'm thinking is, man, well, you know, my parents could probably use that money. You know, I know that they've been struggling with this or that. Or maybe my sister, you know, I know my sister's still struggling to pay off her school loans. I could probably take the money there. Right. So the first thing that I think about, it's not really about the price. It's about the other influences that are stronger in my life, my priority, my, my priorities. Right. And usually nine out of ten times. As, as, as a person, you usually don't put yourself first. So clients are the same way. They're not, they usually don't put themselves first. There's someone ahead of them on their priority their list. children. Yeah. Their it, husband. Right. Right. So if you don't know how this will influence those people, I mean, then you don't know how it influences the client that you're working with. You don't. Because you're not taking into consideration them as a whole. And they're not just one person, you know, and they go home and they're by themselves and that's, you know, that's their life. So if you're only speaking to that one person, you're losing. You have to know their social support. Mm -hmm. So that's huge. So I always, I'm always asking those questions. Who's going to help you along the journey? You know, how do you, how do, how does your husband feel about it? How does your wife feel about it? Are they supportive? Um, you know, would they like to get involved? Is there a way that I can help them kind of, you know, take on to a similar lifestyle? Because I also know that I can have a client with the best intentions, fully committed, highly motivated but then comes home to a spouse who lives a completely opposite lifestyle, good luck. Good luck cuz I get you for 3, maybe 4 hours a week. And that client's you know that oh, that yeah. that spouse has has you for a couple hundred. Like good good luck. So it's it's huge. So social support, how do people around you feel about you training? I need to know that and I need to know it often because the dynamics change. So I'm always asking those questions. Hey, how's it going with so and so? You know, are they still on board? Are they working toward maybe, you know, doing some of this stuff, etc. Number 4 is will it really meet their needs? 
I need to know that. Sometimes somebody says, hey, I want to lose 10 pounds, and we jump on that. You want to lose 10 pounds? Great. I'll put you on my program a couple weeks from now. We get there. No problem. Only problem is that's not why they came to see you. Because if that's the first thing that came out of their mouth, then that's not it. And so you got to be able to peel the onion and get down to the deeper rooted cause of why they came to see you. What is the real need? And, you know, some of the easier ways to do that is to, you know, use an NLP tactic called future pacing, where you would put your client in the scenario where they've already attained the result. And you would say, okay, here you are, you've lost the 10 pounds, there's your body, imagine it, it's there, you can feel it, you can taste it, you can touch it, now what? Now what does that give you? You know, and then that's where they start to kind of peel the onion. You know, they might say things like, you know, now I feel much more confident and because of that, I feel much more loved by my husband or whatever. Now we're getting somewhere, right? And again, always touching back on that because it's so easy to keep the wall up and you stay politically correct. I stay politically correct. You stay behind your wall. I stay behind my wall. Nobody gets hurt. You know, if we get to achieve the goal, great. If we don't, great. But the truth is, if you're going to make a change, then you have to see your reality as it truly is. Mm -hmm. And that means seeing the true need or desire at hand, not the 10 pounds, you know, or the first answer, the superficial. Yeah. And that that speaks volumes to, or, or calls attention to, rather, what we what you mentioned earlier in the show, which was, don't pay so much attention to what's being said, but why it's being said, yeah. and what's the underlying meaning, right? Yeah. Let's not just dance around this uh, giant <laughs> elephant in the middle of the room. Let's actually accomplish something. But that starts with one key decision, that no matter how hard you try, they must make on their own, which is acknowledging the truth. Yes. Once it's you, huge. Yeah. Once they acknowledge the truth, let the games begin. Yeah. I always tell my clients, once we have this breakthrough and they acknowledge reality, they acknowledge the truth, and they decide to ditch the delusional backpack, let the games begin. Yeah. And then we can have a good time. Yeah. So, you know, before I tell you the fifth one, earlier before we started the show, um, you kind of did that where I said... I said, you know, I said I wanted to do something and you said, I forgot, I forgot what you said, but you kind of said like, um, I'll forget it then or, or whatever. And I said, oh, is that the kind of friend you are now? You're just going to comfort me, you know? And you said, well, what kind of friend do you need me to be? I can be that friend. And I said, well, I need a friend to challenge me. And you said, okay, then do it. Right. And so (laughs) it's, it's that. And most trainers, they try to be someone that they think think they want their client to be and it's like dude just ask just ask what do you need from me to make this happen and that's the thing is that i don't i don't make it easy on my clients whatsoever i make them build the strat or i make them tell me the result i make them tell me how they think they can get there and i all i do based on their ideas of how they can do it i help them strategize right but I don't try to pretend to be anything other than what they need me to be. If you need me to be more assertive, great, I can do that. If you need me to be a little more chill, a little bit more pulled back, great, I can do that. Now, there's some ways that I can kind of read my client and I can kind of feel some vibes and 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 kind of choose my next move based off of that. But nine out of ten times, I'm asking. I'm asking. Like, forget the guesswork. Just t- what do you need to make this happen? Um, so, so important. Just ask. And that's the way you identify the inner checklist. Hey, you know, um, if you were to commit to personal training, what would you need from your personal trainer to make sure that you got the result you needed? Great. That's it. That's it. 
That's it. What do you need from me is what I'm asking you. So then the last question you always want to answer and you continue to answer every single time you see your client is why now? Because you got to keep the level of urgency up. You have to know what's going to motivate them to do this today because their goal Right. And I mean, you can only do so much in a short ma- in, a, in a short period of time. So, you know, nine out of 10 times, the goal you're going to be working on is is a long term goal. Even if someone who's already fairly fit and looking to get even more fit, it's still going to take some time. But yeah, you, you can't just know what they're willing to do within a three month window. You started the three month window and then you reverse engineer back. So from the three month window, you say, OK, what are you willing to do by the end of this? Then what are you willing to do this month? What are you willing to do this week? And then what are you willing to do today? And then I need to know why now, because there's plenty of clients that will come to you and they've had this goal. You know, they've had this goal. They've wanted to lose weight. Well, that didn't just start today, you know, but if they're going to take action today, well, then I need to know what's going to drive them to do so now. So that's huge. Yeah. So what we're going to do with this episode is we're not going to put it on the air. We're just going to put it online and then we're going to charge trainers to listen to it. <laughs> Light bulb. No. <laughs> so, but um, all right. We're, we're, we've been talking a long time and I don't mind it because we're just flying through it unless you mind it. We're going to wrap up soon. But sure. I'm a young personal trainer starting out in the fitness wellness industry. I want you to give me some tips. What tips would you give a young uh, up and coming trainer who really wants to do this thing? Okay. Number one is get fit and do it with a strategy. Get fit and do it with a strategy. There's so many people that come into this industry. Define fit. Okay. Well, you get to your definition of fit, but you make sure that you set the path for that before. So, for instance, you know, you define your definition of fit and then you build a strategy as to how you're going to attain it. Right. You build a system around it and you follow that. Here's why. There's so many people that come into the industry because they're already fit. Well, that helps no one. Right. Because you just being fit. It doesn't tell me how I can be fit. And if you don't use a system to get there, if you just happen to be fit because you've always been active or just because you've always, you know, you would eat well or flat out, some people do have the genetics for it. So just because you have good genetics, well, that doesn't help me at all. That doesn't give me a strategy or an idea as to how I could attain that. So the first things first is do it yourself because you have to be able to practice what you preach. Next. What else do they have to do if they're starting off in the fitness industry? Okay. So once you've been able to do it by yourself and you have a system, it's not to say that that system is going to work for everybody. Actually, what you're going to learn is that within that system, you're going to have to leave a large margin for error because there's going to be ups, there's going to be downs, some things are going to work, some things are not. And you're going to have to constantly strategize and re-strategize. So always test your system. That's the second thing is test your system and try to use some practicality behind it. You know... You have to use the other thing is is learn from what already works. Find someone, find a model, right? That's doing what you want to do and they're doing it at the highest level and you follow that. You model that. 
that's the biggest thing. You know, trying to figure it out on your own or do your own thing or try to be different right from the get-go is like, that's not a, it's just not a good idea. The first thing is you need the basics. You got to establish yourself based on what already works. You know, um, take for instance, Floyd Mayweather, an amazing boxer. He's going to be one of the all-time greats. He has a style that technically should not work. He should get knocked out because of his hand positioning and the way that he boxes. But here's the thing. I guarantee you that's not where Floyd started, right? As time went by, he started to develop his own style, his own niche. Everybody wants to start at style, right? And I just recently, um, two and a half months ago, started boxing and I started learning. And, you know, the way I looked three months ago in comparison to the way I look now looks very different. But I started off with the very basics. It looked awkward. It looked stiff. But you know what? I learned the fundamental principles and that's starting to carry over into, you know, somewhat of my own style. I'm still very much into the basics because I'm still learning. You're boxing with Darwin, right? Yeah. Darwin. Yeah. Who's an incredible coach. He's a beast. He's an incredible coach. And he's an incredible boxer. Yeah. So he's really taught me that about the fundamentals and the principles. So for instance, sometimes when he teaches me, he talks to me as if I'm one day going to fight someone. And I always tell him, look, Darwin, I just want to do this to stay in shape. And I want to learn the the, the principles behind it because I believe in principles. I don't want to just learn the superficial layer of, you know, looking cool when I'm sparring or not sparring. I'm sorry, when I'm doing like mitts or hitting the bag. Um, I don't want to just look cool. I want to I want to understand it because I've always been a big fan. And so he talks to me as if I'm fighting someone and he explains it as if he was speaking to a fighter because he's like, well, if you want to learn the principles, then you have to fully immerse yourself in the environment. And I think that's so true. Um, So, yeah, that's the big thing. It's like style is more important than substance initially. Right. But it's it's substance. It's substance. And then eventually you develop your own style. Um, And until then. You know, it's just not going to work out. I guarantee it. I've seen I've seen a bunch of guys come in, you know, crash and burn because they thought that they had it because they had the body. But it just they had no substance behind what they were doing. Um, The third thing is stay curious. Stay curious. This field is going to move so fast Um, in the last. So, okay, so I've been doing this for a little over six years, but within a set system, I've been doing it for over four Right with the with the corporate wellness company I work for in a set system, that system has changed so much in the past just four years. It's completely different. It's completely different. So you have to stay curious. And if you're not learning, you're not growing. And if you're not growing, then you're dying. Right. So in that progress, you have to seek progress. You got to seek mentors. You have to seek new knowledge and you have to play around in different areas. Don't get set in a category. Awesome. Awesome. Lewis, thank you so much. That That's all great information. And yeah. what a huge honor it is to have you on the show, man. I mean, thank, you, thank you so much. Dude, I'm I honored. Mean, I feel like I'm, please, please stop. I, I'm <laughs> To have you on this show and give so much information and you're going to be helping lots of people listening to this. I hope so. They, yeah, you are. And, and they're going to apply it to their lives outside of personal training. Yeah. I mean, these things, when I talk about sports and athletics, I'm thinking, guys, this isn't about sports this is about life yeah and you're it's about listening to the underlying principles yes sir yeah okay so the last thing is it's a bit of a fun uh speed round of questions oh, so man. we're gonna ask I'm you familiar some with it yeah no, <laughs> right exactly so you're a cheater because yeah. most of my uh interviewees don't have um 
I've been thinking about um, favorite foods for a while because I know that one comes up. I know that's gonna be a tough one for you. You're gonna gonna be tough. You can't say kale. (laughs) So let's start. There's some of these I'm gonna have to modify because I know you. Because if I asked your favorite TV show, you'd go, "I don't have a TV." TV. I threw the TV out. So, okay. So let's go. Favorite food. My mom's uh, stuffed shells. Okay, that's beautiful. I love Italian food. Nice stuffed shells. And quickly, I don't want to forget this one. I modify this one. Who is your favorite fitness fitness uh, exercise science educator to follow in regards to the body? Ooh, that's a tough one. This is new. This is new. (laughs) You gotta say one. That's the hard part. And I know there's so many great great minds out there. That's really hard. Um, man. Can I just say you, man? <laughs> oh, that's an easy way out. It, it, it's an easy. I, I'm, yeah. winning, I'm winning by default. I don't know. Why, I don't know anything. Well, it's it's an easy way out. But again, you know, you did teach me something about again listening to underlying principles and then and then wanting the principles, not being okay with just the man. I could have been. I could have been fine. You know, I, at this point, I've got probably over 20 certifications I could have been fine with just the one I started with at this point just by using style and mimicking the style of the people I was around because I was around some badass trainers especially when I first started so the fact that you taught me to go dig deeper find out why you know and RTS does a good job but I wouldn't highlight Tom Purvis as my favorite honestly um uh, it's funny you say that yeah it's funny you say that and and I, I know why. Yeah. I, I really know why. So who, <laughs> yeah. who, who else? Who I else? would say, you know what? I'm going to go. He's not He's not necessarily my favorite person to learn from. Like, I don't necessarily like to hear him speak um, per se. He does have really good things, you know, really good information. But I like Michelle Dalcourt because of his four-quadrant system and the way that he talks about training in different phases um you know not just saying you know loaded movement or you know uh, uh, you know calisthenics or you know uh, bodybuilding he talks about playing in each one in order to keep a total balance of movement and i honestly love his approach his institute of motion if you go on his website um it's it's amazing the type of content that he puts out is 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 great so i really like his ideas about being well balanced and well versed in all areas of fitness. Awesome. Favorite ritual. Favorite ritual is working out. Okay. That yeah, that's that's a ritual for me. I love it. I I are you listening to music? Actually, yes. So on Spotify, my favorite channel is Deep Focus. And it's just like background music. Uh, I have one of those things like I can't stop thinking. Um, so the background music helps kind of shut that thing down and help me really f- actually focus. Um, that plays all day long. If I'm not doing something, like if I'm not doing something that I have to listen to, then I'm, I have that playing in my headphones. Awesome. Favorite pastime? Pastime is like yeah. a ritual, I guess, but chill. Hmm. Reading. Yeah. You know what it is? I like watching fail videos. 
<laughs> I'm gonna be honest, man. Of course. Uh, I, knew I, too I love that when people take crashes. Yeah, I love that. I think it's hilarious, man. Uh, Rob Deerdick had a show called uh, Ridiculous Something or something like yeah, that, and it was it, it, yeah, it was all about that. I love that stuff, man. If I have dead time where I'm just like zoned out, I'm like, yep, I'm just gonna watch some fails yeah. or boxing. Yeah. yeah, I'm watching one or the other. Shut the mind down a little. Yeah, bit. Yeah, for sure. Favorite sports team. Favorite sports team. I gotta say Yankees. Okay, that's yeah, not your, I've been that's, going to that's the. Not your fault. <laughs> that's not your fault. I've been going to games since I was like seven because my dad worked for a company and they owned seats and you know he would get tickets every so often. I think it was just that the connection I had with my dad, uh, and I would go with his friends. It was always a really cool experience. So Yankees yeah, if for you sure. grew up in New York and you're a, you're a kid, <laughs> you have to like the Yankees. I get yeah, it. for sure. So um, okay, favorite athlete. Favorite athlete, Derek Jeter. I knew you were going to say that. Oh, dude, because he's just amazing, man. He's yeah. amazing. That guy was a lifer. He's he's wow. amazing. And talk about character, man. Yeah. I don't. Do you ever remember Derek Jeter getting in any never, trouble at all? Never in the tabloids, man. That ever. guy was just clean cut, clean cut, true to who he was, wasn't out to please anybody. He just, he was just fully obsessed and in love with what he did to the point where he was willing to sacrifice, let's say, if it was even a sacrifice, that you know that other part of that lifestyle that people can fall into of like showing themselves off or you know taking advantages of you know the advantages presented um mm. but he was just always clean cut you he was directly associated with baseball you never heard of Derek Jeter outside of anything else than baseball or Ford commercials right true. that was, it was that was it that's so true. I, I love that true. i love that it's very true favorite movie of all time favorite movie of all time Dumb and Dumber, the first one. <laughs> I love oh, that man, movie. That's a, that's a strong pick. I love that movie. You don't even have to tell me genres. Like, no, nah, I'm just gonna go with Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> I love it. It's great. Sam, Mary Samsonite. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> knew it. <laughs> Favorite book. Favorite book is The Power of Now, Eckhart Tolle. That place. That that book. Incredible. It's kind of a book you got to read several times too. Yes. Great book. Incredible. Favorite TV show? I know you don't ha you don't watch no. TV. Okay, we'll skip it. Favorite type of music? I listen to everything. I listen to everything. Right now, um, my girlfriend DZ, her uncle has got me on like deep blues, so I'm like listening to a lot of deep blues right now. I, I really enjoy it, but I honestly I listen to everything. If you listen to my playlist, it's crazy. But I am also a sucker for R and B music. I love like 2000s R and B. Uh, Bill Devoe. <laughs> that's that's like late eighties, nineties. I yeah, know a little bit older. Nineties. Like, that's not me. Favorite quote. Oh man, favorite quote. The way you do one is the way you do all. That's I love a, that. That's a good quote. Actually, somebody from the front desk. Her name was Katie. She shared that with me, and I, I live by that. I love that idea. That's a strong quote. So true. If you could have one phrase on a billboard on ninety-five, what would it be? Get out of your head. Get out of your head. Interesting. If you could share one thing with the world, one message rather with the world, what would it be? You are powerful. You just don't realize it yet. Awesome. This is, this could be family too. Hmm. Mentor. Honestly. Dude, I tell I tell everybody, even to this day, 
I would say you are easily hands down, you know, that person that I would put there just because you taught me lessons that most people would be afraid to take somebody else, you know, to that level. So, well, you're uh, one of a kind, my friend. Believe me, you're one of a kind. So thank you for even considering me to put me in that category. All right, Lewis, that's it. Thank you so much, man, for being on the Magna Method. It was, without a doubt, you have the record for the <laughs> longest Magna Method podcast. Yeah, that was long, but I you know I talk what? a lot. No, man. I'm well known for it. Well-winded. <laughs> Long-winded. <laughs> it was, uh, when it's conversational and it's flowing, man, it goes by. So, and people yeah. will listen. So, thank you so much. I'm going to thank you now because they're going to thank you later. But thank, thank you, you so brother. very much, man. I, I appreciate, appreciate it. Thank you, you for thank your you, friendship man. as well. Thank you, brother. Uh, the world is blessed to have you on it, man. Thank you. Okay.